Welcome to the Numbers Game. I'm Jason. I'm joined by Nick and Marty. How are we going today, fellas? Going well, Jace, and uh, really impressed with you picking up the phone today when I called, rather than just letting me drop the voicemail. Um, there's some magic in there, mate. It's uh, thank you, thank no. you. I know you're a busy man, but uh, appreciated it. No, you're very welcome. Trying something new, trying to, you know, when available, when not in a meeting or a podcast studio or a webinar, if I can get to the phone rather than letting it go to voicemail and then thinking why are people leaving voicemails rather than sending texts or calling the office, just just, just handle it, deal with it, keep people happy. We, we're here to serve. It's what we do. So, no, going, going well, really well I, and I felt, loving I life. Felt special, Jace. Felt special. And, uh, Nick, you always make me feel special, mate. So how are you, my friend? <laughs> I'm going well. So just talk us through some of this magic. So if you've got an example of what picking up the phone provides for you, I'm just, this is just normal course of business. I'm just trying to understand. Normal course of business. So if I don't answer the phone, like a client or a potential client needs something um, Mm. and I look at it and go, I'll I'll get to that later, knowing full well that my schedule really doesn't allow for me to get to things later, but I think it for some stupid reason. And then later the stress piles on and I go, far out, I didn't get back to that person's call and I I feel crap about it. Now, my voicemail does say to call the office because there's a team of amazing people who could also help. Um, But by answering the phone today, the the example was a client was restructuring his business. Um, He needed some companies and some trusts kind of restructured. Um, He was feeling uncertain and concerned about what the restructure would do for his operations. And by answering the phone, putting everything at ease um, and literally just then just got a text from lovely Matt just saying, mate, really appreciate the advice and quick turnaround. Thank you so much. So also leaves me feeling bloody good about my life too. That throws a spanner in the works for me. I might have to think my strategy because I find purposely calling back two to three hours later means the problem's fixed. So you know that if they're calling, there'll be a problem. I'll just wait for two or three hours. Sometimes I don't even have to wait. I got a text the other day. The reply was sorted about an hour later. No need to call me back. And you kind of know in the back of your head, well, I knew that was the case, which is why I didn't call you back. So maybe you're just selective on who you do and don't call back. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Dad, That's if good. you're listening, uh, I swear I'll call you back at some point soon, mate. I swear I haven't, you know, been screening your calls. Who, Nick, who are our sponsors, Jace? Who are our sponsors? They always <laughs> pick up the phone. Come on. <laughs> no, actually, you know, before we get stuck in today, I've got an exciting app about ATO and Mythbusters, and so don't leave. It is actually exciting. But I've got something new for you today from a sponsor point of view, and, and oh. I haven't even flagged it with you guys, but I'm just going to do it anyway because I can, and it's it's already recording, so it's happening. I've actually decided. The lovely team at Coffco, Coffin Co. Coffee Roasters have approached and said they wanted to throw in a, a bit of a sponsor deal and get our listeners some discounted, freshly roasted coffee, some of the best beans you can get in Melbourne. So check out coffco.com.au. It's C-O-F-F-C-O.com.au. And there is a numbers game discount code for 30% off all freshly roasted coffee. So just type in the numbers game at promo for, at the checkout for your promo and you'll get 30% off your freshly roasted Where coffee. Where are they? Where are they, Jason? Uh, Melbourne. Melbourne-based coffee roasting business. And full yep. disclaimer, I am involved in it. It's Case Case and I and a couple of friends set up this business years ago and it just kind of sits off to the side. But I've, I've had a few people reach out recently buying the coffee and then just messaging me saying, mate, good coffee. That's really cool. Or sending photos of their coffees through. And I thought, you know what, how do we get coffee into the hands of more people? And 
the numbers game. Obviously, there's an audience. Mm. We've got some reach. Things are pumping. And I thought it would be a great example for anyone else who wants to reach out to the numbers game because they think our audience can benefit from their products or services. Um, obviously, everyone loves Future Advisory and Innovate. Um, but if we can get cheap coffee or better coffee into the people's hands of Melbourne, um, that's just exciting. So coughco.com.au. And during COVID, we said it was the only cough that was acceptable in public. That was a bit of a not cheeky bad. marketing, did they? Not bad. You do Thanks, beans Nick. as well, or is it just yeah, uh, beans, just just uh, freshly oh, roasted beans. Oh, it is all beans. Perfect. You can you can get they it, you can get it ground up if you've got a if you prefer it to come as a ground up ready to go. Um, mm. But most of the brevels and the machines these days have you have your grinder ready to rock and roll. So yeah, and I've got I, a mate who runs a secondhand car yard uh, just out of Ringwood there. Uh, Dodgy is all how overpriced cars, but just say Marty sent you and uh, we'll sort that out too for you. Uh, the coffee's much more stable than my contact, so there you go. Oh, there you go. Well, 30% off the numbers game. There you go. So, yeah, something different. I thought, you know, future advisor can go without sponsoring an episode. <laughs> So, which would have made sense for ATO Mythbusters, but we're really getting off track here. I've obviously had too much uh, Kofco coffee today, but here we go. So, guys, I did float this idea for an app. I do want to ask you a bit as well um, if you're hearing things around the traps. But one of the big things that, you know, if you read some dodgy news sites, um, you'll see that, the, you know, those daily mail articles and those kind of things popping up here, there and everywhere. If you're on TikTok, you'll see it. But many, many Australians are out there complaining that their refunds this year were the smallest refunds they've had in years. So at a time where cost of living is going through the roof at a time where people are probably screaming for a bit of a handout and some money and they're, they're used to getting their refund, what we're seeing across the industry and personally as a firm is most people who get their, who were getting two to three grand back a year over the last couple of years, their refunds have dropped to a couple of hundred dollars. They're getting four or $500 back this year. Um, you guys seen or heard any of that around the traps before I explain what's been happening? You hearing many people complain about their refunds or, or kind of a bit separated uh, from that world? We're separated luckily, but maybe it's just too early for us. Um, just going to the fin year, you're probably right at the coalface, mate. I have I've heard you mention it um, quite a few times, but yeah, yeah. Yep. So keen to uh, keen to hear some more. Yeah. So effectively, what ended up happening was the ATO removed an offset uh, called the low middle income tax offset. So for the last couple of years, it has genuinely just put basically one and a half grand extra into most people's pockets. There's a bit of a tiered structure, but if you're earning basically up to $120,000. So anything less than $120,000, you were qualifying for the low middle income tax offset. So you imagine your, your uh, mum and dad couple coming to get their tax done and between them, they're getting an extra three grand through this low middle income tax offset. They both earn 80, 90 grand. Um, so, you know, they, they walk away with maybe four or five grand from their tax refunds, which means they can pay rego, pay insurance, throw some in the offset account as a bit of a top up for their savings and maybe book a family holiday. One year later, being this year, the ATOs removed this offset. Wasn't necessarily overly advertised by the ATO. We tried to talk to our clients a lot about it, but, you know, not everyone lodges through an accountant. So there's a lot of people out there that are doing their own tax, wondering what the hell's going on. That with that offset removed, if you imagine that same couple coming to do their tax on a year where that's gone, that's $3,000 less in their pocket from the get-go. 
Um, the other thing we're noticing that is more people have earned interest on their savings, which is good, but also there's no tax paid on that. So that's chewing into your refund and everything else. But unfortunately, what we're seeing is couples come in who were used to getting three, four, five grand, and they're now getting three or $400. And psychologically, the mindset was that that money was already spent for a lot of people. You know, it was spent on the rego. It was spent on the family holiday that they've been telling the kids about for, you know, for months that, yeah, you know, we'll book that soon, guys, no worries. And unfortunately on our end, we've seen a lot of heartbreak where we have to sit there on a Zoom call or a phone call with a client and hear them go, what do you mean? What do you mean that's all I'm getting back this year? Like last year, I got a couple of grand. How come it's only four or $500? So I wanted to start by sharing that, that the the times of couple of grand refunds, three, four, five grand refunds for, you know, your regular everyday worker has basically been slashed due to this low middle income tax offset that people had. It was a bit of a gravy train for three years. It wasn't meant to continue, but as COVID happened, the government went, we'll do it another year. We'll do it another year. And this year, probably the year that people need it most, but they've gone, look at inflation going, we don't want to throw extra money in people's pockets because they're going to go out and spend it. We've got inflation to tackle. Out of interest, Jace, does it impact, um, yeah, this is just how I think, right? Like sometimes those rebates come into paying paying off your accountancy fees. You know, it's like sometimes dollar for dollar, you're getting a good yep. rebate back and then you pay your accountancy fees through that. Does it impact your business in any way or do you think it impacts accountants' businesses in any way? Because now people, are not only the holiday, but also is there any perspective change on the fees? Hopefully not because there's no, and obviously look, great, value great, beyond that. But great question. Great question. Unfortunately, we're providing value beyond just getting yeah. offsets automatically apply. We haven't seen too much of that, but it's it's natural that people do do that. So I had, I had someone the other day, their refund was $250, which is approximately our fees. And and the attitude is, well, at least your fees are paid. All good. Like, thanks for doing everything yeah. you can to, to improve my situation. But ultimately where that comes is, you know, if you haven't kept receipts, if you haven't done a logbook, if you haven't done your home office logbook, there's not a lot your accountant can do anyway. So having an accountant and going to get your tax done through an accountant, the value comes from accountability where your accountant tells you, hey, Marty, before you come back next year, make sure you keep your home office logbook so we can claim the maximum hours possible for your home office or record the kilometers on your car because that's a great claim and I can get you back more money next year if you keep your records. Yeah. So that education, mentoring, training and accountability through having an accountant or a tax agent do your tax is where you're going to get your benefit. But ultimately, and not to remove um, you know, customers from wanting to come and see an accountant like ourselves or anyone else out there. But if you have an extremely basic situation where you have no deductions to claim, it's it's actually not worth your money to go to a tax agent and pay them, you know, $200 to pro- to push the form through when you could do that yourself from home and, and keep that 200 bucks in your pocket. Well, it's interesting that they were utilizing that as discretionary spending. And that's another thing now um, with inflation, people cutting back that um, it just doesn't put more money back into the market, does it? So I think there's, uh, I think they said that um, consumer spending was almost in negative territory in Sydney and Melbourne, where the highest mortgages are at the moment, compared to other states with lower mortgages. Um, yeah. So that again, that's another element. It's all these death by a thousand paper cuts where people mm. are choosing not to spend in various different reasons yeah. and areas. So it could be good for the CPI numbers. Is that what you're saying, Marty? That's exactly what I'm saying. I think uh, I think that'll surprise us in the next couple of months. 
<laughs> yeah, look, and my message there, and there's a few more points, but I'm just going to get this message out there really, really early and just a crisp, just get cutting straight to the chase. I think gone are the times where people, like you, your main individuals, working a job, working hard, not shelling out too much money. Maybe they use their phone and their internet a little bit. Maybe they work one or two days from home, but gone are the days of big tax refunds. If you're being taxed properly, the ATO are doing everything they can to make it harder for you to claim things that you shouldn't be claiming. So the mindset needs to change. I think a lot of these articles were geared towards that the Australian government was screwing over the taxpayer by not giving them a refund. But ultimately, you've been taxed the same as previous years anyway. Yes, there'll be some movements in brackets, but it's more of a change of the mindset to not get to the end of the year and expect a refund. Every dollar that goes in your pocket, every payday, every week, every fortnight, how you use that is up to you. And I'd say put some of your own money and savings aside if the mindset was that was going to come from your refund. It's not anymore. But if you put it aside and then you do get a refund, bonus to you is you've got more savings put aside. Um, I think there's a bit of a mindset of, you know, spending that net dollar that ends up in your pocket and waiting for that refund at the end of the year. What would you say on average um, is the gap? So for your typical, uh, I know you did rattle some some figures off, but what are you actually seeing? So what would someone get and what are they getting now? Are they getting anything back? What are we talking about here numbers-wise? The main difference is 1,500 smack bang on. Okay. So most of the time, if you got a two grand refund last year and you earned, you know, up to 120,000, you're in that window, you're basically at a point where you can just minus a one and a half grand straight off. So your two grand refund becomes um, your $500 refund instantly. And unless yep. you've got more claims than you had the year before, nothing's going to change that. So um, the other thing that's kind of impacted that and it flows on from that question, Nick, is the ATO have changed how you claim home office, Um, you know, and and this one's probably not not an overly publicized one as well. But over the last couple of years, you know, you could rock up and tell your accountant, I worked on average 20 hours a week from home and we'd do 20 hours times 48 weeks times 80 cents per hour or 52 cents per hour. Um, reel those numbers off quick. On Now, if you use the 52 cent method, I was then able, which that covers your gas, electricity, you know, some running expenses from home. We were then able to claim your mobile phone, your internet, your printing and stationery, your new desk, your new chair, all of that stuff that you're paying for to set up your home office. We could claim that. What's happened now is they've moved the goalpost again and created a new home office rate of 67 cents. They've got rid of the 80 cent method, which was the shortcut. They've got rid of the 52. They said, we're going to be awesome and give you 67 cents per hour to work from home. But then this is where they were sneaky or shifty. They got rid of the ability to claim your mobile phone, your internet and your printing and stationery amongst a few other things. So it was a blanket cover. Yeah. Correct. Yep. So so if you work from home, you get 67 cents an hour and that's encapsulating basically everything. everything. If okay. you then went, well, no, I use my mobile phone a lot. I'm paying for it. All my calls are work-related, blah, blah, blah. If you want to claim your mobile phone and your internet, then the, the process of then trying to figure out how to claim your home office gets real complex to a point where you need to look at the kilowatt per hour use of the equipment that you use at home. On top of that, you've got to keep a record of your home office use every single day from the 1st of March, 2023 ongoing. You can't just keep a diary that gives an example of how you use your office week to week. It's literally 
a, like every single day by the minute that you work from home, you've got to keep that diary. Um, so, so it becomes, they've made it kind of so complex to be able to claim your home office that a lot of people are just going, Jace, it's too hard. It's, it's, I'm, I'm not going to go check the kilowatt use of my air conditioning unit. Um, you know, the, the kilowatt use of my desk lamp, I'm just not going to do it. Right. So, um, that, 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 meant- that alone, that alone is good incentive to get back into work. Like, who yep. wants to do that anyway? hundred percent. So, you know, if you've got to then look at, you know, all of those things, you know, that you're using at home to run your home office during the day, you've then got to be able to compare your bills when you're not working at home compared to your bills when you were working at home. There's a whole list of things. And if you do generally work from home a lot, go through the process, you know, it's worth it, you know, great, but don't rock up to your accountant for your appointment. Expect a big refund, but not be aware of all these new things, which is hard. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. Um, but this is the challenges that the accounting industry and we are facing now is people rocking up, their refunds are slashed, and then it's harder to claim things like home office, printing and stationery, mobile phone, internet. So what about people that are earning a bit more? So, you know, what if you've got someone who's um, at that higher tax bracket, uh, they might be, have it, they might have a second job, for example, and I know you've talked about this before, there's a uh, reluctance um, for people to have a second job because it's going to push them up into that high tax bracket and, you know, I'm going to lose half of my salary, be, you know, because I'm earning more, I'm in the top tax bracket. Um how are those people impacted and is, is it any different to the fact that they're earning more? Um, are you still encouraging people to to take on that second job and earn more money if they have to? What are you finding there? Great question, Nick, and uh, good to, to switch to that topic. Um, we, we, we do hear that myth. If we're talking ATO Mythbusters, um, one of the big ones we hear is there's no point taking a second job because I'm just going to lose 50% of that to tax. Um Complete, completely false. So to answer the two-part question, anyone earning more than 120000 over the last couple of years, they won't notice their circumstances change. If they're coming in and claiming the same stuff as the year before, their refund's going to be about on par. Um, we have seen people get caught out with help debt. I'm going to answer it in two-part questions. If you, if you had a help debt and you changed jobs in the last few years, because a lot of people jumped ship during COVID, a lot of people forgot to tick the box and they've rocked in this year with $10,000 tax bills because their employer wasn't withholding for their help debt. Part two of the question, if you have thought about getting a second job and you say, no, I'm not going to get a second job. It's I'm just going to lose 50% to tax. That's absolutely not how it works. And I'd refer you to look up what's called the marginal tax rates. So if your original job, you were earning $80,000, and you could pick up a second job doing a shift on the weekend and that job was going to earn you $20,000. And so you'd gross earn a hundred grand for the year. If we're following my numbers, if they all add up. Now, what happens is because it's your second job, you've got to tick the box that you can't claim the tax-free threshold. That means that second employer will withhold more tax from you than what it looks like on your first job. But at the end of the year, when you go to do your tax return, you'll end up paying what is your marginal rate of tax. So for example, between 80,000 and 100,000, you're taxed at 32 and a half cents to the dollar. So if your employer withheld closer to 50%, you're going to get nearly 18 cents to the dollar back of that money at tax time, almost like a bit of forced savings. So it is well and tru- you're well and truly better off that if you're going to work a second job because things are a bit tight at the moment and you need to, you're not going to lose half of that to the tax man unless that second job 
is putting you over 180000 in income, then you're going to lose 45 cents of it. And that the reality is that you're a high income earner. That's really well explained because the general perception is, is what comes out of my pay, what comes out is what comes out of my pay. And I think that's what, you know, people are impacted by right away. But you do get that benefit back based on your tax rate at the end of the tax year, if I'm, if I'm hearing that correctly. So, but, but yeah, people are so reactionary. They go, well, 47 cents came out of, you know, of my pay and they get, they get upset because they're getting, they're not getting that full whack in their hand right at that point. So, yeah, a little bit of patience, but that's a good myth buster. Yep. And look, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I've heard it for the last 10 years of my career. Every year I hear it, somebody says it multiple times that they didn't take a second job because they didn't want to lose half of the money to tax. So good reminder out there to everyone that if you do have the opportunity, it's not going to, it's not going to work that way. I remember my dad carrying on about that going back even, you know, 15 years ago. These bastards charge me 50%. Why do I work? And I'm going, well, Dad, I think you get that back. But it doesn't matter. It's like, but that's, you know, that's, uh, that's the very, very uh, Croatian ethnic reaction. But, uh, but I, I think everyone gets charged by that when they see it come out of their pay packet initially. Yeah. So great mm. point. Rounding out the kind of more personal income tax side, a few of the extra things that, you know, what you don't want to do is just go, well, look, my refund's not as big. I'll just inflate my deductions this year and the ATO won't find out. Um, you know, people that are a bit, I guess, disgruntled or saddened by the size of their refund then going, oh, well, you know, actually maybe I did buy an extra $1,000 worth of tools or, you know, actually my phone bill was double this year than what it was last year. When you start to inflate your deductions, the ATO benchmarks you against other people in your industry. And then they also have the data matching of last year versus this year. And they're, they're always flagging things that seem out of whack. So um, very important, you know, don't, don't, don't try and fudge the system because, you know, too many people get caught out and, and it becomes painful down the track after that. So message there is keep your records, do your home office diary if you are working from home. And especially the big one is motor vehicle logbook. If you're using your car to drive job site to job site and you're carrying tools and equipment and whatnot, the best thing you'll ever do is keep a motor vehicle logbook. Your accountant will love you for it. But the money you get back at year end when you provide your own vehicle to help you do your job is just phenomenal. So um, that's the biggest tip there. Do you know what percentage of people get audited by the tax office out of interest? Yeah, like, very, there... very, very good question, Marty. And it's really, really tiny. Um, I can't tell you the exact number, um, but it's it's small. I mean, if there's you know millions and millions and millions of taxpayers, I think it's approximately four out of every one thousand returns get picked up for audit. Okay. Yep. So, you know. That, that four out of a thousand, I'd rather not risk it. It is a small number, but that's definitely, you know, my message is there's no point risking it because if you're that four out of a thousand, mate, you're taken absolutely to town and then you're watched every year after that for the sake of a couple hundred dollars. You just don't want to be that person. I, I, I only ask because you every year you get the tax audit insurance that comes out and I just, I've always wondered whether that's actually worth doing. I guess if you do get audited, you would say that uh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Any other questions from you guys before I move from kind of individual side to more of the business myths around the ATO? No, no. No, I'm looking forward to the business stuff. Yeah, cool. I guess the, the business side probably comes more from a bit of, especially seeing what I see, and we talked about this uh, earlier on uh, today as we were pre-planning a bit of stuff, but 
I think the ability to register an ABN is is a concern for me, um, which is the ability for just anyone to start a business, register a company. Um, it'd be like being able to buy a car and drive a car without a license. Um, sure, you can buy a car, but unless you've got a license, you can't legally drive that car on the road. What I really would love to see in the longer term is that before people can become business owners in Australia and register a business um, or start a company on ASIC is that they have to do some kind of basic test, you know, course license to say, yes, I understand my obligations as a business owner. Um, unfortunately, we see way too many businesses go under. Um, the stats around a business failing, it's three in every five businesses are gone within a couple of years. Um, you know, so th those stats tell you something. It's that people probably shouldn't have got into business in the first place and they weren't prepared for it. Do you guys see or experience much of that on your end when business owners are coming to you to apply for loans and just things aren't in order and things don't look right? Yeah, well, Marty's probably the better question, better person to answer the question, but I would have thought, yeah, that's most, most business owners. <laughs> well, I've got, I've got two, <laughs> two viewpoints on that is firstly and foremost, uh, you think about people going into any industry and they need to do testing, compliance courses in order to be able to qualify to operate in that industry. And I think it should be for any business that should be the case, even starting a business. And for me, one of the most impactful things I ever did was when I was 17, 18 years of age, it was a government-run course called uh, What Works, and it gave you the fundamentals of business and even having a vision, a mission, how to execute, knowing your financial numbers, uh, knowing when you're in challenge point, what do you do, taxes. Um, it was it was a real eye-opener and it really set up some great foundations for me as a young person to go, these are the things I have to take note of. And I was doing a hobby business at the time, but it was um, it was really invaluable. I learned more out of that than I did probably in my last year of school, which tells you how I was going there. But uh, But it was... Yeah, that was really impactful. And I think there needs to be something around that, you know, before you get an ABN and decide upon a business. And I see it then from the from the funding position. There are some people that are wanting to buy a business and have no experience in that in that business. And, you know, you ask them to put together a basic business plan and sometimes you get like two paragraphs and you just go, but there's no way that you're going to get anywhere here. Um, you know, formulate a business plan, show your thinking behind it, that you've got, you know, you've got your ideal customer and all, all the things we know about. But it's, um, yeah, it's there's a lot of work to do there. And I think that's why the failure rate is just so high. Even in regards to managing cash flow and various different things, there's still things I picked up from that What Works business course that stood me in good stead, um, you know, even to this day. So I would, I would, I would encourage people to follow that and try and get that information that there'll be something around that you can do, but I think it needs to be a necessity before you get an ABN. Yeah, hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. And even just then I did a quick Google of a course to take before starting a small business in Australia. And there is heaps of them. And a lot of yeah. this info is free and it's out there, but unfortunately people want to rush to the success or they want to rush to, to the starting line. Um, it'd be like doing a marathon without training. Like, cool. Yep. Yeah, you, you might be able to go and start, 
but the chance of actually making the full 42 kilometers, very unlikely. And that's what's happening in business. Getting to the starting line of a business without market research, business plan, budgeting and forecasting, avatar of client, business structures usually wrong, accounting systems are wrong. There's so much you've got to get set up right. And unfortunately, there is no checking mechanism or or you know recommended education during that point of when you are starting up. Um, diving into a couple of the things that we then see that happens with people who dive into this uh, journey of being a business owner and some of the myths is um, actually I uh, might, might throw it back at you guys is you know it's okay for me to run my personal expenses through my business. What do you think, Marty and Nick? Oh, for me, it's no, absolutely no. It's, Don't uh, say anything. yeah yeah no business is business you get a wage out of that business or you get a distribution and that's personal it's um don't mix the two it's um well said marty that's that's when we hear you know we look at a new client comes on board and we go through their business file um it's the business bank account it's a company or a trust and all of a sudden you know, the holidays through there, the personal, the second vehicle for the family cars through there, the fuel, everything's through there and the business isn't making money. And we're saying, geez, this, this business is not performing very well. And it's not until you strip out all of the personal expenses, you actually not a bad business in here. Like let's, let's, you know, and then where we usually see that come undone is the business owner wants to sell or bring on an investor and the books, you know, are a shambles is, is not, not the right painting the right picture of the business. Another fun one is I can't afford to, Sorry, Mark. Chase, can I just say before you go on, I remember in the in the old days in the bank, I had a client. Um, I'm going, you're making no money on your financials. And he said, see that uh, figure of 280000 for advertising and marketing? That's mine. And I said, it's not yours. It's you know, it's the way it's been uh, you know, reported is that it's not yours. And I, I can't. He goes, that's mine. <laughs> I, just, I just couldn't believe it. It's like, uh, so that's the 90s, kids. It's the 90s. So, you know, Hopefully he was one of the parameters. four in a thousand that got picked up. Goodness um, me. Got another another myth for you here that I'm interested in your take on for the general public. Um, I can't afford to pay my BAS or tax bill right now, so it's better off that I don't lodge my BAS or my tax if I can't afford to pay it. Well, the answer is obviously No. <laughs> Yeah. The answer is no, but the minute you do lodge it, it's due, right? So there's a there's a more sensible answer to this: lodge <laughs> it and communicate to the ATO. Uh, not bad, Nick. Not bad. So so yes. What, what, lo- what about lodging one day prior to it needing to be lodged? Well, look, that's this is okay, isn't it? This is the thing that really pains me at the moment, and there's a lot of activity around liquidations, um, wind ups from from um, the ATO winding up businesses, running as companies. Um, and a lot of activity in the insolvency space because that all went on hold during COVID. Now, a lot of people had that mindset that, look, I don't have the cash to pay my bass or my taxes right now, so I'm just not going to lodge for a while and, and eventually I'll catch up. The issue and problem there is by not lodging, by not locking that in and letting the ATO know what's happened, that gives the ATO the power to make whatever debt wasn't lodged making the director personally responsible under a director penalty notice. Um, it's called a lockdown DPN if anyone is you know interested enough to go and Google it. But if you ever lodged your BAS late or your tax late and then you end up in insolvency and in a bit of trouble in business, all of those late lodgements can come back to bite you very, very firmly on the butt and it becomes your personal liability that even if your company didn't have the money to pay it, but you've got a nice house or some cars because business was good a few years ago, they're coming after that stuff from you personally 
if you didn't lodge your basses or taxes on time. So even if you can't afford to pay it at that time, you're best off lodging it on time. And as Nick said, communicate to the ATO that, hey, we're, we're, we're in a bit of a pickle right now. We need some time. Let's put it on a payment plan and we'll get back to you in a couple of months when we've got our affairs in order. That is the number one best way to handle that. Jace, what's the longest you've ever seen someone not lodge a tax return? Uh, 20 years. And this, this was pre, pre, pre my time at Future Advisory, but a, a guy walked in um, in Beaconsfield in, uh, inside accounting I was working. Guy walked in and I think it was 1997 was the last time he lodged a return and it might have been about 2017 or 2016. Might have not quite been 20 years. He was running a company, very, very successful company, lots and lots of dividends and a great wage. And he ran his company, to, you know, immaculately. But he had a, a problem with the ATO in 1997. He went, stuff him. I'm not going to lodge it. I'm going to wait and see how long it takes them to, to come after me. So he rocked in. He had a, he had a shopping bag with the in black capital, a black texter. He wrote 2017, 2018, 2019. He rocked in with 20 or 18 or 19 shopping bags, one per year of all of his receipts, deductions, all expenses that he incurred personally uh, while earning that wage. And just dropped it all on the desk and said, look, I waited nearly 20 years and the ATO still haven't asked me for my returns. He goes, I don't really want to leave it any longer just in case it gets ugly. So let's do it. Let's get them all lodged. And I look, and the system's still not great. And there's still plenty of people out there that have overdue tax returns. Um, and we're, we're seeing that more and more now um, that, you know, they went, oh, well, the ATO owed me five bucks, 10 bucks. So I decided not to lodge. It wasn't worth my time. But if there's if any tax was withheld, you have an obligation to lodge your tax return. And if you don't, even for the sake of five or ten dollars, I know it's a pain in the butt, but you're gonna get that back. If you don't lodge it, the fine for not lodging is eight hundred and fifty dollars per year. So, you know, kind of worth worth your while to get in there and lodge it. Um, I could talk about tax all day. I might give you the last myth um, here, guys. Um, and then, of course, if anyone ever wants to talk more business myths, I'm your man. I'm, I'm open book for this stuff. But um, I'm a business owner, Nick and Marty. So I've got employees. When it comes to paying superannuation, as long as all my employees' superannuation is paid, I don't have to worry about business uh, superannuation for the business owner. But I need to make sure all my employees' super is paid. Thoughts? Uh if you're a, if you're generating a wage out of the business, you have to pay super. If you're a business owner, don't you? That very was my good, thought. Marty. Very good, very very good. Yeah. So we we hear sometimes business owners, who, you know, and again they come across from a previous accountant where they may not have been as strict or firm. Um, and there's some eight, uh, superannuation debt on the balance sheet. We say, oh, you've got some overdue super. And the attitude is, oh, that's that's just my super and I'm not going to dob myself in. I made sure I paid all my employees super. Um, I'll fix mine up another time. Um, unfortunately, when it comes to super, like what you said, Marty, if you're an employee, you're bound under all the laws and rules like everybody else that your superannuation must be paid on time if you're getting a wage out of your company or out of your business. Um, and by not lodging super... The, the penalty for overdue super is 200% of the balance of the super. So we've seen a, an employ, a, a business owner oh, wow. who owed $50,000 in super. The penalty, if, if we weren't able to kind of get them off that, the penalty that was floated was a $100,000 penalty. Plus you still have to pay the $50,000 of super plus charges, plus interest, plus everything else. And then that $50,000 because it's late is not tax deductible. 
So you were just getting double whammied from all angles. Um, overdue soup is one of the, the biggest issues I, I can see in, in small business owners from a, a risk point of view of that 200% penalty. There is an amnesty. There was an amnesty some years ago. There's another amnesty coming up. Um, if you have got overdue basses and things like that, it's kind of the time to pull your head out of being dug in the sand and put your hand up and let the HR know, hey, I've got some overdue shit to sort out, but I'm working on it, you know, and it needs to be lodged, I think, between now and December December 23 this year. So if you've got a backlog, try and engage an accountant ASAP to get your affairs in order. The amnesty that might be geared towards your GST and your pay-as-you-go withholding, but there's no time like the present to, to lock in what you owe in super. Put your hand up so they don't find you and do the 200% penalty and then get it on a payment plan. It's it's going to, and again, superannuation is one that follows you for life. If you think as a director of a company, I'll just sink the company, it's, it's failed, no good superannuation is one they'll make the director personally liable for as well. So you've got to get on top of it and there's no time like the present. So Jace, the penalty notice for super, would you would you still get that if it was just director super you hadn't paid? Well, how do yeah. they view if I'm a director and I've been on a salary and I sink the company well, sink the company is probably the wrong word. If my company fails and I owe myself super how do they treat that? I've paid I've paid staff, um, but I haven't paid myself. Call it, you know, there's twenty or thirty grand owing. How how what would they do there? Effectively, there's there's steps and processes to follow that they treat you just like every other employee. You've got entitlements that need to be paid out. Um, and if you're the person who's gonna be responsible for it, if they're gonna wind up that company and shut it all down, effectively that director penalty notice takes it from being a company debt and makes it a Nick Riley personal debt. So then you would have that debt assigned to your name and you'd have that debt sitting there earning, accruing interest and penalties and fines and until you kind of knock it out and pay it off. And of course, it's going back into your super fund anyway, so it's a bit, bit of a you know frustrating process, but it's what kind of, you know, they've got to follow, keep the wheels turning and make sure everyone follows the same set of rules. And Jace, this is different to someone owning a corporate trustee and um, not drawing a direct, you know, not being an employee, just being a business owner and then having distributions from the trust paid to them, then they don't necessarily have to pay super. Isn't that right? Because that's, that's something that a lot of business owners do as well, that it's up to them to put into their super as to what they want to put in. That one is correct, Marty, and that's why we do see a lot of people still opting for a family trust as a yeah. great way to operate a business so they, they, they can choose how much super to put in when they want rather than committing to the super guarantee system per being a, an employee of a company. Yeah. Uh, but great question, Marty. Very good. I like oh, it. I thought I'd better add that in because there'd be a few people going, oh, no. And uh, there's, yeah. there's a lot of people yeah. in that situation. All, all so. dependent on your circumstance. If you're on a wage through a business, whether it's a trust or a company, if you're on a wage, you know, you've got entitlements. But if you're the business owner taking drawings through a family trust, got a different set of rules. And like anything, seek your independent tax advice as well as financial advice from the great Nick and Marty and their team there. Uh, but guys, I, I know I've rambled off a lot of business and ATO myths, but I'm obviously immersed in this world and parts of it excite me. And I like educating the general public out there for some of the things that we can and can't do. So hopefully you've uh, enjoyed. Awesome, mate. It's great. Thank you. And until next time, game over.